0: Hello, my name is David James Young. You might know me as one of the four voices you're about to hear for the next hour or so on Hottest 100s and Thousands. But today, I'm coming to you as a friend. We're friends, right? It doesn't matter if you've been listening for a couple of episodes or a couple of seasons. If you are engaging with Hottest 100s and Thousands, then you have a friend in me. That's why I'm coming to you as a friend to ask Do you dig this? Do you like what we're doing? Because if so, there is one very, very simple way that you can help us out. And that is by telling people about what we're doing over here. We love doing this show and we would absolutely love it if you could share that with anyone you think even might be remotely interested. Tag us on your socials. Mention us in any conversation where podcasts come up. It would be so, so massively appreciated. Thank you again so much for your ongoing support. As I always say, we love you and we appreciate you. And now it's time for another episode of The Great Podcast.
1: You're putting a deep voice on to be a serious radio man.
2: Yeah, just doing a little bit of uh, music criticism.
1: See, when it comes to tunes, some are bangers and some
2: are... Some are slangers.
1: Some are slangers.
2: (laughs) Oh no, it's a bloody slanger.
1: You You hate to see it. You hate to see a slanger. You hate to hear
0: it. I would argue you'd love to see it. I would argue you fucking absolutely love to see that shit.
3: Oh, mate, are you a slanger defender?
0: Who's to say? Who's to say, really? <laughs>
3: We've got a slanger lover in our midst. Bit of a file. Big slang head. What oh, I don't know about that.
0: God damn right! It's a beautiful day. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young, and I am one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so before this message self-destructs. Joining me once again, Mr. Nathan Harrison. Hi. Mr. Andrew McDonald. Hello. Mr. Adam Buncher. Hang on a minute.
3: Did you just challenge the listeners on a mission, nonetheless?
0: Yes. A mission from
3: God. To start a rival podcast with the exact same idea as ours?
2: Yes. Absolutely. Madness. Yeah. I hope they don't accept that mission.
0: I welcome it. I welcome all competition. We will destroy you. There's going to be a bunch of ISO projects, and if one of them is doing a blatant rip-off of this podcast, I welcome it. Because little known fact, I ripped this podcast format off somebody else. Fake
2: news. Beep! Everything's
0: a copy, baby. Everything. All is fair and love and war, and both things are covered in podcasts. And let me tell you, there is a lot of love and a lot of war in today's episode oh boy
3: and a lot of originality because i can't think of a single song that we're talking about today that takes musical cues from anything
1: else
2: <laughs> Yeah, that's also true
1: it's all completely new ideas spoiler alert he's telling the truth <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, what a weird thing to say. (laughs) No one has ever
0: told a lie on this podcast. Ever.
3: That's why they call it the Honest Podcast.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Both of the H's
1: stand for honest.
0: (laughs) Honest 100s and thousands. That's it. That's it. (laughs) All right, folks. At number 30, it's the return of Jebediah. This is Please Leave. couldn't see, I'm used to all the crappy dish out, I know exactly what it's about, you didn't want to come across the sea, dragged by your hair, got you got me, now everything's cool up until when, I
1: accidentally screw up your laugh again,
0: Jebediah cracking into the top 30 of the 2000 Hottest 100, coming in at number 30 with the song Please Leave, a thing I have said to Kevin Bloody Mitchell more times than I care to count. Oh, bloody hell. (laughs) This this bloody hack is back once again. Andrew, what do you got?
1: Yeah, this is from their, their second record of Someday Shambles quite a bit of different groove compared to the other Jeb's songs we've chatted about. Yeah. Like it's um in its way, it, not to a huge extent, but to some extent foreshadows Kev's work as Bob Evans, right? Like it's a bit more softer. He's not in the, the nasal tone apart from like the backing vocals he gives himself. It's more of a kind of baritone groove kind of thing going on, which um, was quite surprising as someone who, if I did know this song, I certainly forgot about this song. I fucking dug it, man. Like, it's groovy and, like, soft. It's nice seeing the crew from Jebediah put on, I guess, like their more singer-songwriter hat rather than their, like, Australian rock punky kind of hat. Also, I thought, because I hadn't heard it before, like I said, but um, I think lyrically it's kind of like a polite version of Friends or Roms to come into my house.
2: Well,
0: Jeb and I are, are basically a polite friends of rom. <laughs> oh, that's nice.
3: <laughs> it's it's like friends of rom say something, and then like Jeb and I step in and go like, "Look, I I think what they're trying to say.
2: Look, he is- means well. Yeah, <laughs> Jay's just very upset. He's got brain worms." <laughs>
3: Which he fucking did.
2: <laughs> yeah. What did he get rid
3: of them? Like the brainworms? Yes, he did. Or was just like you just have to learn to live with the brainworms that you have
2: from now on.
1: He could get it removed, or he could learn to die with the brainworm. Was the solution.
2: <laughs> Do you think that the brainworm managed to like get control of his speech center and made him say, "Oh, I guess the worm is gone. <laughs> uh, it's it's it left, and I'm fine now."
1: <laughs> You're saying that the brainworm is a yerk, Nathan.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Can we talk about Yurks for a moment? Sorry, Why sorry. Not? These guys. Why not? These guys. The floor is yours. Come to my planet, bringing their shit down here, and it's it's just not okay. I mean, a cheeseburger with no cheese, madness. <laughs> <laughs> Struggling very hard to remember any Animorphs things apart from that.
2: Because that was like one of the codes that they. used That was the
1: code to get into the Yurk pool. Was you yeah, went to the right. the local Hamburgery and ask for the, a cheeseburger with no cheese. This
3: moves so fast,
1: I'm feeling a little dizzy. You just We just went
3: from like linking Friends of Rom to the Animorphs universe rather seamlessly. Which is canon now,
2: by the way.
1: But I do think that this song is fucking lovely.
2: It's really nice, isn't it?
1: Also, vocally, you know what it fucking reminded me of a little bit? Not in terms of like this other song I'm talking about has a bit more energy, but it actually reminded me a little bit of the Bob Evans track Go from Familiar Stranger. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: true. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. A terrific track. Like, I love that song. I think maybe just in the in the vocal tone, because, like, with Jeb's so used to hearing Kev sing with that higher, more nasal register, compared to with the Evans material, where he sings in, like, a slightly deeper voice kind of thing. I vibe with this quite a bit. I listen to it quite a few times. This is cool. Great acoustic kind of work there. The whole band are in good form. I think this is a lovely fucking tune.
0: This was, a yeah, a staple. I've seen Jeb's like half a dozen times and I don't think I've ever seen them where they haven't played this song. It's just a fun little throwback and it really gets people like right in the zone. Yeah, this was
1: actually, um, it was on the second record of Sunday Shambles, but it was written much, much earlier. I and mean, it was originally, I guess, to a certain degree, part of the songwriting process for Slightly Oddway. They refer to it as a lost song from that era. They played it at this venue, Planet, in Perth, even before Stolly Oddway came out and apparently Kev had written out the lyrics and taped them to Vanessa's back so he could sing, which which I think is very good. And then apparently it was completely forgotten about that for years until one day they just found that gaffer tape piece of paper in a guitar case and was like, oh, yeah, right, we wrote another song.
2: That's so good.
3: And I think that fits in really well with the identity of what's going on with the song because it is a bit of different gear for Jebediah and I think that kind of fits into what I see the identity of Someday Shambles being like Slightly Oddway seems like this really focused lean singular musical entity right and it was their debut was saying like this is what we are and there are variations on that but it kind of sticks to a a similar kind of musical theme whereas Mm. like Compare that to the last time we talked about Jebediah, that was Feet Touch the Ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very,
3: yeah. very different to anything else they'd ever done. Yeah. Terrific fucking song. Which is like I think one of the great things that you get sometimes with a with a sophomore release is that you have sometimes this opportunity for a band to push their sound and explore a little bit more. Sometimes it goes the opposite way. And again, you get the the sophomore slump where people kind of like try and recapture lightning in a jar and end up just doing like a watered down version of something they've already done. But At its best, that second release is a time where it really has an opportunity to expand the identity and the sounds that a band can kind of encapsulate. And I think that's totally what we're seeing with the singles coming through from Jebediah right now. In particular, what really gets me is the instrumental section that kicks off the song. It's just all these separate little intertwining harmonious melodies all very, very separated, but working together like a kind of machine. And that was just, like, such an exciting sound to hear from Jebediah to start with. I kind of wish that that section had a reprise later on because I just thought it was really, really cool. But as it stands, like, where it kind of goes from there is, um, as you say, like, a lot closer, I think, is the word than we've had Jebediah get to us before. Like, even just literally the distance that you can hear between Kevin and the microphone. Um, yeah, And that's what makes it that kind of like intimate song. But I think in terms of the construction and the songwriting, I could easily imagine a world where you just turned a dial and you took it to like a
1: Nirvana aneurysm level of energy and it would still work just as well. Yeah, well, actually, it's funny, um, not necessarily like Nirvana, but that kind of vibe, right? This track, or the whole record that this track was from, was uh, produced by uh, Mark Trombino. Yeah. He did the first um, Drive Like Jehu record. Oh, my God. Can Uh. you see that, man, like a little bit? Blink, Jimmy Eight World. He did tons of Jimmy Eight World.
3: Yeah,
0: which is the link as well with the split that Jimmy Eight World and Jebediah did. Yeah.
3: Drive Like Jehu kind of articulates exactly kind of what I want from the song that I'm not hearing, though. Right. It kind of touches on it at the end where we're starting to break apart. It's this nice little swirling crescendo. Things are getting a little bit more chaotic. I just kind of wanted that a little bit more. Take it bigger, take it longer
1: really fuck me up on that. Obviously like musical preference subjectively comes into this here kind of thing because in the the same way that like I really like this song but I prefer Jebediah's punkier shit because I'm into punkier shit. But like I think like surely you agree with me here that this song for what it wants to do does it very well and is quite lovely.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. When I say like that's what I want for the end of the song that's just because that's what I want for the end of most songs. (laughs) Create the world and then blow it up while I watch please. (laughs) I don't... moan the fact that they didn't do that because it's kind of specific this song also belongs on a on a weird playlist uh songs that adhere to the trope of singers announcing
1: guitar solos
0: Mm. oh fuck yeah
1: i like that bit actually yeah yeah you're a fan of when songs do that I don't know what level of which I'm, I'm into it, but I am into it. <laughs> Friends have done it a bunch, and, like, obviously, like, The Who have done it, and, like, obviously, obviously like, heaps of hair metal bands do it, and then, like, The yeah. Darkness we do it in every song, but just, like, having to, guitar! And then a solo comes in. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, Nathan, you'll be with me here. Do you know what I'm going to say here, Nathan? Oh, uh, I don't know. Is it Tism? No, no, it's not Tism. It's on the complete other side of the irony spectrum. It's The Cure.
2: Oh, Is it the one for 39? It is the one for 39.
1: I think objectively it's crap, but subjectively I always smile when it happens.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in 39, he's talking about like there's nothing left to burn on the fire of like in your life or whatever. And then there's a point where he says there's nothing left to burn, not even this. And a guitar solo starts. And it's uh, (laughs) it's very on the (laughs) (laughs) nose. That's freaking epic, dude. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's way more on the nose than the Cure ever do. <laughs> what I like about this song doing that is that I think, like, it has been established as a trope long enough that the way that Kevin says it is he just kind of throws it away. And then the solo that actually comes in is just like... <laughs> guitar. This droney, not at all virtuosic. It's just, like, the guitar being a bit weird. And I kind of love that that's what's announced as guitars.
1: Yeah, totally. I kind of like the way it undercuts that. But still, it fits into that playlist. But also, don't you think this song, considering it was written... Before the debut record came out, don't you think it would have been very odd to hear on
2: yeah, Oddway? Yeah, totally.
1: That's probably why I didn't get on it.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean.
3: But I think if it did get onto Oddway, they would have dialed it up. They would have um, taken it a bit more aneurysm Maybe that section that I wanted at the beginning would have come back.
1: Yeah, it, it would sound different. Yeah, that
3: would have been a completely different arrangement altogether. Who knows? Um, also, just a quick addition of When Your Faves Love Your Faves. This'll be good. Patience from the Greats is like famously a massive fan of Jebediah in fact like she's known for like anytime she's talking to someone who doesn't really know Australian music Jebediah is kind of first on her list in terms of showing them and also uh, the greats did a cover of this for like a version. Oh, sick. So you
1: can track that one down
3: somewhere. Nice.
2: What are you guys, if you're entertaining a foreign guest, a friend from abroad, and they're like, what's Australian music like?
1: Someone that flew here rather than grew here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I show them the door, mate. <laughs> I show them the doors, mate. Have you heard of this band, Jim Morrison, Ray Manzarek? <laughs>
0: Just quickly on the greats um, The day that we're recording this uh, Today is actually Patience's birthday No
2: way Happy birthday Patience Give us a five star
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> it's The best present that we can give you Is this episode And your five star review Of this
0: episode <laughs> At number 29 It's the return of the Stone Temple Pilots This is Sour Girl making an unexpected return at the uh, 29th position of the 2000 hottest 100. This is a song called Sour Girl. Nathan, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I certainly of all the like big post grunge bands, I was certainly not expecting to see nor hear from Stone Temple Pilots again. Least of
2: all at such a high point in the countdown. I mean, more than that, I think I completely forgot that we had talking that we talked about Stone Temple Pilots. Motherfucker said
0: talking! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Woo! Well, such was my forget Because <laughs> I was like, oh, Stone Temple Pilots Yeah, okay, this is the first time talking about this We talked about them three times <laughs> Yeah But that was like way back in seasons one and two
0: It was Plush and Inner State Love Song and
2: Yeah, and Vaseline Oh, Vaseline, yeah, yeah, of course The prequel to um Glycerine Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Vaseline But this is Sour Girl This comes off the album number four and it um, it's real bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a boring song. Was, was this the last record they did before they split up? Uh, oh, no, no. Uh, Shangri-La Dida came out in 2001. But, yeah, we're definitely getting towards the tail end of the band's trajectory here.
1: And you can tell.
2: Yeah, it sounds bad. It sounds whiny and boring and, like, it never kind of reaches any thing.
1: It was apparently written about Scott Whelan's divorce from his first wife Which he wrote when he was with or maybe divorcing his second wife But he clarified it in his autobiography Where he misspells his first wife's name Which is incredibly (laughs) funny Like (laughs) That's a fucking Twitter joke, right? That's so funny Cards on the table I don't remember that I was just a top of pilot songs
2: Yeah, no way
1: I am well known for not remembering things in this podcast, <laughs> but I think this one's totally on them. <laughs> yeah. But I assumed that the band were more of like a slightly weirdo psych grunge kind of band. And this is just like a pretty straightforward acoustic dork rock song.
3: Dork rock! So this is definitely an outlier in terms of the actual sound of the album. Even if you just cursory kind of skip through the tracks of number four, it kind of sounds a little bit more like Grinspoon. So this song, yeah, really
1: really does kind of stand out. See, I prefer that.
3: Yeah,
2: I, I definitely prefer Grinspoon to this.
1: For sure. What doesn't help this song sounding like a dork rock song? A. Also, before I get to it, actually, she was a teenage girl when she met me. Yeah, don't write that. Just don't put that in a song. Not great optics on that, Scott. Come on, mate. But the video for this song is pretty much just like Scott Wheeland with his shirt off and his low-cut 2000s jeans writhing to himself. doing a bunch of hand gestures and shit. He's like soul patch grooving kind of thing. So good. And it's a stinker. But the best thing about this song is also in the video because apparently Sarah Michelle Gellar was a huge fan of the band, which is not cool. (laughs) (laughs) But Sarah Michelle Gellar is cool. She's cool as shit. We're not going to bag out Buffy on this podcast. But she's in the video as like this kind of like gothic priestess woman. And you know me, I'm not one to be want to go horny on main, but she could step on me like I was a bug and I'd thank her for the privilege. (laughs) Andrew McDonald, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. That's my score out of 10 for this song. (laughs) Apparently, there's some
3: Teletubbies in uh, in the video clip as well. There it- are, or well, they're like knockoff brand Teletubbies. They're like TV Tubbies. <laughs> we only had to insist that uh, they weren't the Teletubbies, despite the fact that they were insanely popular at the time. It was like, no, no, no. I dreamt of something like this prior to the Teletubbies.
2: Oof, oof. Take the L, mate. Just, just. Like- <laughs> 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 yeah, just like yeah. I was. It's just like a parody of the Teletubbies.
3: Look, Wheeland wasn't having a great time. In fact, it's rather surprising that this song made it up to number 29 here. Agreed, agreed. And that the album did as well as it did because Whelan was actually just before this kind of came out in jail for, for drugs. So there was a real lack of promotion coming through from the label for this album at the time. I probably don't hate it as much as you guys. There's something about the vocal melody in the verses at least. That I kind of think is interesting.
0: I think my issue is that like it kind of just feels like an ill-fitting suit. I know you guys didn't like the previous STP songs, but I fucking did, man. I think Interstate Love Song is a fucking corker. Did
2: we not
1: like them? I, again, I don't remember those songs, but I'm with you that this doesn't sound like what STP should have been doing.
0: Yeah, like I guess they were trying to like find a way to maintain an audience. It's the same when we're talking about any of any band where it's just like, oh, we were popular at this time for this sound. And now it's not that time, but we still have that sound. What do we do? Oh, well, obviously we should change the sound. And then when they do that, often, like, more often than not, it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like, are you are you serious with this shit?
1: It's a weird position you find yourself in as a fan or indeed as an artist where you're like, oh, like... I want to give people the stuff that resonates with the reason that they like us to begin with, but you don't want to just rehash it. Slight turns, obviously good, but like drastic turns are things that only I think like exceptionally few artists can pull off successfully. Like, And not that this is even like a drastic turn kind of thing, but to go from like kind of like psyche grunge music to like quasi-acoustic folk rock balladry is – for me at least, too much of a stretch for the abilities of Mr. Pilots. But apparently it resonated enough with the fucking Triple J audience to get in the 20s, so who the fuck am I?
3: Yeah. I don't think it's that too dissimilar from the grungy stuff that they were doing, really. Yeah, right. I mean, like the the melodies and stuff and whatever, like it's just it's pretty basic kind of rock song kind of songwriting. It's just that they've adopted a, a somewhat different aesthetic for it. I don't know. Like I guess I don't see it being that much different.
0: Do you guys think it's a V for the B? No, I don't think so. No,
3: I, th- I think I can see how people would like this song. Like, I-, I think there is some interesting stuff going on, and I think it's catchy. Are they coming back?
2: Um, No, no, that's it. Yeah, that's definitely it. That's it.
1: Nathan, do you want to give him the customary? This is the last time we're talking about send-off as...
2: Oh, do we need to? No. <laughs>
1: well, fuck you too, then.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, okay, this is the la- um. This is actually the last time. <laughs> well, if you're gonna do it like that, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I know. Uh, I'm trying. I'm, ho- I'm fighting back tears, but there's um, no more Stone Temple Pilot songs make it into the hottest 100 after Sour Girl, um, despite their and everyone's best efforts. Well, yeah. What
3: can what can you say, really?
2: I really forgot that we had talked about them already
3: Well we talked about them such a long time ago
2: We did, we talked about them years ago
3: And who knows the things that you'd talked about at that time Yeah We could have talked about so many things that we've since forgotten <laughs> simpler time
1: Back then we had uh, Steve Hope, Bob Cash <laughs> and Johnny And Johnny, No COVID Now we have <laughs> <laughs> the opposites of those Don't
0: fuck yourself <laughs> Andrew I hate you guys so much at number 28, this is George with Bastard Son.
3: that could be teeth,
1: can go.
0: George making their return to the hottest 100. That is the song Bastard Son" from the album Polly Serena. Now, Adam, the uh, last time we talked about George, we talked about Spawn, which of course featured the inimitable, unmistakable vocals of one Katie Noonan, but this time we are getting a cheeky lead from Katie's brother, Tyrone Noonan.
3: Letting Tyrone have a go.
0: We finally let Tyrone have a go.
3: God, I love George. And I was just thinking about why it is that I love George and why it is that I think that they're so singular in terms of, like, Australian music history and in terms of the the landscape of Australian music is because, like, there is such a lack of pretension in their image. There's nothing constructed about George. It's just like a brilliant classically trained singer and her brilliant classically trained brother getting together and putting together musical elements that they love and ending up with this with this amalgamation of something that's kind of like between indie rock and between folk and between like kind of something more adult contemporary but with this kind of edge to it and it's just pure channeled creative essence from from the the members of the band themselves stirring it together without any kind of thought about exactly how it's going to come out but just like crafting it from there that's kind of how Everything kind of fits together and and you get beautiful singular kind of songs like this. Again, because we're talking about George in this era, we have to state what kind of version we're talking about. So this Bastard Sun version comes from the Bastard Sun slash Holiday EP. And you can also find that on the uh, early days or whatever it's called compilation that Georgia put out. Uh, It is not the Polyserena version. But I have to say that like compared to the last time that we did this comparison, talking about Spawn from a similar kind of period and then which also got a a re-recorded version on Polyserena, I think these two versions are kind of closer. And I think what really changes in this version is that it's kind of big and out of control from the get-go. There's a lot more kind of control and build and... Kind of tighter dynamics that happen on the on the arena version, yeah. But I kind of really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, that's fair.
3: It hits you before you're ready for it, and you get swept away. It's a it's a rapid stream of a song. This like before you know it, there are these strings, and there's that tink tink kind of um, that drumming that I absolutely love coming in. Um, just give me the tink tinks all the time. Just they're really good tinks. Just keep doing it. Just keep. I like my tinks, tinkin'.
0: You know Adam, he's the tink-tink man.
3: And then, you know, and then all these multiple layers coming on. Before you know it, you're completely kind of just overwhelmed in it. And it becomes, by the end, really theatrical. Like, you can imagine this kind of being put on stage somewhere it sounds a little bit rawer, and but I like honestly if someone said that they preferred this version to Polly Serena I would be like like kind of valid it's wonderful like it's a wonderful kind of example of George and what they do so well we did talk about when we talked about Spawn how Tyrone had a little bit of a Jeff Buckley thing going on and I think that that really becomes evident
0: yes
2: Towards the end of this song. As you might say, in a big way,
0: my friend.
3: I'm never going to begrudge someone for, for doing that because I'm just like the biggest Jeff Buckley stand there ever was. But I think like it kind of gets to the extent where it's so Buckley that I just start thinking about Buckley
1: <laughs> and I stop listening to the song. And you want to put Grace on.
3: Yeah, like a little bit. Like, And if he just toned it back like a few degrees, it would still be George. But like, I love it. It's sweet. George uh essential early 2000s uh, Australian listening, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I In this, I kept waiting for Katie's lead vocals to come in. I didn't <laughs> realise that her brother also took the lead box. Um, yeah. Do
0: you not remember a whole bit from last time?
1: David, you know I don't. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> We're very funny. We're a good podcast.
1: <laughs> I'm sure we are. I just don't recall any of the bits.
2: <laughs> The best compliment I can give to this song is how quickly I got over the fact that it wasn't Katie singing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's still good. All right, Tyrone. You've done all right.
1: I really like the really skittering drum beat that's all going throughout. This kind of thing. That's a very constant rhythm section. It's always working kind of thing. You're right by the end, blasting those higher notes on his voice in a very beautiful way. The other George we've spoken about um, has been something that I think preferred and it maybe it's may just a bias towards Katie's vocals and not to denigrate this vocal performance at all. But like, yeah, this totally fucking works. I absolutely get why it's here. It's all very well done, but it just isn't my particular cup of lager. But it is very well done. It's the me that's crappy here, not the song. But I do think, Adam, when you said unpretentious, I think that's that's a really, really good descriptor of them is that they're unpretentious. It's just a brother and sister and some terrific musicians writing these sincere, quite large welcoming rock songs, there's there, there's very little pretense to the band. I think that works in their favour.
3: Which is bizarre because, like, they're playing with musical elements that many would regard as pretentious. Yeah. Elaborate strings and big soaring vocals and stuff like that. And the fact that you can confidently listen to this song and say, like, yeah, it's unpretentious despite the fact it's so big really speaks to that kind of thing I was talking about where the, where the band is just kind of grounded.
1: I've said this countless times that pretentious as a critique is worthless to me but it's funny that you, that you bring that up right like these many different layers in a song and having like a familial bond with the songwriting and the vocal performances these kind of ideas that if they were handled in another way people would be like oh yeah that pretentious brother and sister band which a I would disagree with because I don't like that as a critique at the best of times but b the fact that they do it in just this way that feels like humble
2: there's something organic about it yeah it's beautiful I love how driven this song is Just by those tinks, lava tink, and the voice, it really just feels like, particularly in the verses, that's just what continually pushes it forward, and it really does build up like a beautiful sense of energy about it.
1: Yeah. Again, as much as I did say this is not really a song for me, you're coming around, man. You're coming around. No, no, I can see it happening. I I just, I just (laughs) know. I I, love it, Andrew.
2: New champ. Oh my god, Andrew. I just, Andrew, (laughs) what a turn.
1: But again, what I have to stress, and I said it before, but I do have to stress that my lack of clinging to this is not a fault of the song. The song itself is very well produced. Everything sounds neat and separated, yet working as a collective. The vocal performance is great. The backing vocals from Katie in the second half are great. The lyrics are lovely. It's just not specifically for me. But the song itself is in, is immaculate, right? Like it's an immaculate thing.
3: Could you use this as a metric for your own self-improvement, Andrew? Like you think, you think you've think you really turned a corner in your life put on bastard son if it sounds good you're like huh i guess i'm there i guess i'm self-actualized
1: adam man look we're all struggling in quarantine the last thing any of us needs to do is look at andrew's self-improvement metrics <laughs> <laughs> uh that's best left in the other room hey man sometimes it's okay to stay up till three in the morning playing like a video game from 25 years ago and having wines that's that, that's self-care baby that sounds pretty good to me, honestly. Yeah.
3: I think I think you're already at the top of that pyramid.
1: I
2: think I am. I, 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 I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> Deej, you're also at the top of this pyramid. Am I? But you knew this
1: song, yeah. Like, I didn't.
0: I loved this record. I hadn't actually heard this version of Bastard Son because the version I knew was from Police Serena. So, again, similarly kind of coming back to it and figuring out kind of the A to B. You know, like, when you, like, hear back famous demos? Mm. For me, this is good and it's cool and, like, I like this song, but also I feel like they really kind of achieved what they set out to do on the Poly Serena version. So to me, this doesn't feel like a separate entity. This kind of feels like a demo to me. One thing I do like about this iteration of George with Tyrone up the front is that you get to see how Katie works as a side player because she spent most of her career center stage, the complete focus, everyone knows who she is, everyone knows what she's capable of, this is like a singer and a front person and all that sort of stuff. So it's cool to see how she implements uh, like musically, like being off to the side, playing keys, doing backing vocals, that sort of stuff. They're able to make it work because of the adaptability of both of them. Making this a sometimes food as opposed to like the central focus of the band goes to show There's elements to both Noonan siblings that make either side of the coin work. Tyrone here, you know, knows his way around that building guitar and the way that he uses those lilting higher range vocals. You know, there's songs on this record where Katie will know where to harmonize with him and stuff like that. And, like, they'll have, like, really nice... Very, very close kind of vocals. And that shit's really cool because like that's shit that I found you can generally only really achieve with siblings.
1: Dude, I was literally about to say, do you recognise a sibling thing? Yeah,
0: 100 percent man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil and Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Goes to that saying. The Everly brothers, the Righteous Brothers, like The
1: Blues brothers. <laughs> of course.
0: <laughs> But
3: I, I also think the advantage that you get by having two main vocalists, so to speak, is that you extend, extend the breadth and potentially even extend the audience. Because if people were like not really into the Katie songs, they can still one hundred percent just be into George for the for the Tyrone songs and kind of vice versa. Like, and you've you've all yeah you've just expanded the breadth of. Uh, the band's sound and therefore Your its appeal. appeal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's exactly um like if you're not into the the Humphrey B Flaber songs, you might be into the Ron Hitler Barassi songs. Yeah. And you speak and you just become a Tism fan through that.
2: You know? <laughs> or if you're not into the John Paul or George songs, you might be really into the Ringo songs. <laughs> and that's how you get into pre wings. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time? Oh boy. Ah, we've
1: reached the point
3: it's actually time to do the real podcast now everything else was just kind of like get that shit out the
1: way that was opening act
0: (laughs) all right you fucking coward dogs the time for fun and games is over it's time to put on your sunglasses get on your motorbike and walk away from an explosion without fucking looking at it and number 27 this is limp biscuit with take a look around in the set at number 27 with Take a Look Around, you can find this song on one of two places. One of them is the album Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water, the third studio album by American band, the WWE's favourite band, sourced WrestleMania 19, 2003. Limp Bizkit. Or, you can also find this on the soundtrack to Mission Impossible Two. This marks the second time we have talked about a song that has been featured in Mission Impossible. Of course, the quote-unquote other two guys in U2, Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr., performed a version of the Mission Impossible theme song that made it into a previous Hottest 100. But this time, that very same theme has been reinterpreted and given a whole new breath of life thanks to Jacksonville, Florida's own Limp Biscuit. I cannot tell you what fucking joy this song brings me. Sweet mother of fucking God. I remember seeing this as a kid and having my tiny little mind blown. As Ben Stiller said, this band blew the fucking people downtown. There was some wild shit going on, man. We've talked about Limp before. We've talked about Nookie and the others have kind of clutched their pearls and <laughs> been outraged at how horrible they are. And look, fair enough. I fully admit that they are not for everyone, but they are for loud, ugly degenerates like your boy. I'm here to yell at shit and fucking swear a lot and fucking punch the air and listen to sick riffs. And when I do that, Limp Bizkit is the soundtrack to my fucking life. I think what they do here is incredible. I think what Wes Borland is able to do with this super iconic motif that everybody knows and to just give it such a degree of... Fire and aggression and suspense and action and just the way that he builds up into the whole thing. Like using the higher end kind of clean tone stuff in the verses. I love that. And then just when he just fucking goes into that down tune snarl and just kicks off into fucking oblivion. That is just God tier shit. Few things Make me happier than that fucking drop in. I think it was Henry Rollins that talked about this, like the way that Limp biscuit gets people on side is they'll like build up a build up a build up and then they're gonna and they are just so good at that specific thing like you are just ready to fucking destroy everything inside like that's just the power that this song has i can try and act all fucking sophisticated and i can try and act just like yeah i've been listening to a bunch of fucking tangerine dream lately but when you get to the fucking essence of my being it's a fucking dude in a red baseball cap and a fucking goatee standing next to a fucking six foot whatever freak, covered in fucking face paint, playing a down-tuned guitar, and that's what this song is all about for me. I am not going to stand here and defend its artistic merit or be like, no, nah, but if you really listen to the songs and, like, if you really listen to the production and, like, I think what he's really trying to say with the lyrics here, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to tell you that this song fucking rules because it fucking does. You guys can say whatever the fuck you want. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah well, okay. All right. Tag me in. Tag me in. Tag me in here. Go. You're in, man. You got this. Let's just consider the brief, right? Let's just consider that we are doing a new metal version of the Mission Impossible theme. That's the brief on paper. Right. Could you actually imagine a better result than this?
0: Absolutely <laughs> not.
3: I couldn't! I fucking could not! And also consider that we are doing a Mission Impossible song for Mission Impossible 2, right? The worst Mission Impossible. Oh. Easily. But here is something that Lou Lemonek from the New York Post said about Mission Impossible 2. He said, Check your brains at the popcorn stand and hang on for a spectacular ride. And that could just as easily apply to this fucking song, right? It is the most glorious lizard brain shit that exists. <laughs> like, I am fucking so fucking here for this song. Like, I... Out of all the songs that we talk about in the 2000 countdown, this was the one that I was maybe looking forward to the most. Thank you. Just because because it taps into the fucking iguana at the back of my brainstem. And he's out. This is perfect for Mission Impossible 2 because it's like, this was the edgy fucking dangerous Mission Impossible. This is the Mission Impossible for the Matrix generation. This is the song for the Mission Impossible for the Matrix generation. Brief nailed. Take your bag of money and go home, Fred- <laughs> Frederick Durst. You did a good job.
1: Look, honestly, this is like, this isn't, this isn't, this, it's not bad. Right?
3: Yes! It's not bad. Come oh like on, man. Good <laughs> enough. Good enough. Good enough. You want to say it's better than that, but you're just. I do. You, I know. You, like, I the can see thing is, look, it in you,
1: man. Let it out. Look, it's still a Limp biscuit song. I know yeah, that.
0: Yeah. He, knows, he knows Nathan is listening, so he's trying to, like, restrain himself a bit.
1: I want to stay friends with my friend. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. You don't want to stay
1: friends with me. This is how I'm becoming friends with you, David. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's finally happening.
1: <laughs> it's been a decade of knowing you, and now it's time to be
3: friends.
0: <laughs> it's finally happening.
1: Take a look around at all your new friends. <laughs> the thing is, for what this song sets out to do, it does it extremely fucking well. Yep. For a blend of rap and metal expressed in a numeral context rather than in, say, a Rage Against the Machine context, this is Limp Biscuit at their most considered and well thought out. Fred's verses actually aren't terrible in their flow or delivery. And he, I like how he gets philosophical in the second verse as well.
2: I'm, yeah. here,
3: I'm so
1: here for Fred Durst musing about life. The lyrics themselves aren't steeped in the same kind of bullshit that, like, say, Nookie was. Yeah, yeah. The guitar tone really works. Wes Borland, even when we talk about Nookie, I defended Wes Borland as being a terrific guitarist and, like, the best, most accomplished musician of of Team Bizkit. The family Bizkit. This kind of music is not for me, but I can envision a world where if Limp Bizkit started with this song, they could have been a band I might have liked. There are elements in this that I think work really well. Fred's not in bad form. The band are good. I do think it's quite too long. It's over five fucking minutes of this.
2: Yeah, it's too long. Uh Uh-uh. Perfect. If it was
1: <laughs> wants the decline cut of this.
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck me up, dude. With orchestra. I I want like a full extended version of that fucking 5-4. Oh, just when it comes down to just like the toms and shit.
1: But you, you're not fucking wrong there, Dave. That's what I mean. Like they have these like these signature changes and these like rhythmic changes, kind of think about that, that are in this song that are far more considered and dare I say mature than a lot of other perhaps every other Limp Biscuit song. Like there's stuff in this track that fucking works as a
3: piece of rap rock. But are you just skirting around all the Limp Biscuit elements and just giving props to the original Mission Impossible theme? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> it kind of sounds like you are just going like the
1: Mission Impossible theme is just really good and it's just happens to be performed by Limp Biscuit. It is really good. It's a great theme. It is really good yeah no, I, not even with that. like a, the lyrics aren't cringy or misogynistic or homophobic b there's no throw everything to the wall, see what sticks. I'll put scratching here along with a solo along with a drop d tuning along with Fred calling somebody like a, a, a an epithet. There's none of that
0: <laughs> an epithet
1: yeah F- Fred's just sitting there, and he's like, I think in this verse I should come up with some sort of epithet for an effeminate man. I'll have to try and think of this. Let's workshop this, guys. (laughs) Um.
2: (laughs) Pulls out his rhyming dictionary, but it's like the Fred Durst rhyming dictionary. (laughs) So it's just all slurs. I've got it, Bob Saget.
1: (laughs) But the thing is, there's none of that in this song. The verses are separate enough that it just feels like it's just Fred spitting and the chorus and when the heaviness comes in, it's the band just rocking out. For what it is... I can't really criticise. I think they did a good job. And I didn't think I'd be coming on this podcast to say that about the biz. I'm so glad you did. I am rock hard right now, dude. Well, I'm going to deflate you by passing the mic to Nathan.
2: Okay. Okay. This is good. I get off on this shit. Hurt me, baby. Couple of things. So, lyrically, I can't get past the whole I know why you want to hate me because Fred has spent years at this point cultivating this absolute scumbag persona and, like, obviously indulging it and inviting the response to that from both sides or whatever.
3: So this reveal is genius.
2: No, because it's
3: just, It's been a criticism the whole time. They're the greatest political rap rock band. Thank you. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank
2: you. Adam, I'm trying to...
3: I'm agreeing with you, actually, Nathan. Keep going. That
2: just kind of shits me a bit or whatever, but that's small fry in terms of Limp Biscuit. you know. It takes a bit too long to get there, but I also appreciate that if I was more on board, I would enjoying the journey more than i am and look i just just quick note to that movie reviewer mission impossible 2 is not mission impossible for the matrix generation No, that was adam adam said that
3: yeah that's what i said that was me
2: mission impossible 2 is like the mission impossible for people who thought the matrix was too hard to follow
1: yeah that's that's kind of mm. mission impossible Four. Is that, is that the brad bird one
2: Uh, Yeah, I think so.
1: Ghost Protocol, where where it opens with Tom Cruise looking directly into the camera and going, Light the fuse. Light the fuse. So good.
2: That's the best
1: mission impossible.
2: It's so fucking tight. That one's great. Rogue Nation is great as well. Number three is pretty good. Number one is pretty good. Fallout's pretty good. The OG is great. Yeah, OG is great because it's all just cloak and dagger shit. Like, there's like one gun in the whole thing. But, like, look, you know, and Deej, whatever, say what you will about this, but I, like, it's. It's not bad <gasps>
0: I never thought this day would come This is the Dee's Christmas ep
2: <laughs> I, I legitimately might cry A very special episode All the other characters learn the true meaning of Limp biscuit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I guess the chocolate starfish was inside us all along <laughs> Which is technically true Because the anus does extend inside the human body Alright <laughs> On what other podcast could you could you hear that?
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: I do want to include the top YouTube comment for this song right now. Is it from Dage? It's someone saying this song is more relevant today than it ever could be.
0: <laughs> oh, True.
3: Magnificent. <laughs> I live for the idea of the 13-year-old kids who genuinely thought that the lyrics were deep and like quoted it to their friends <laughs> sincerely as advice, thinking that they wouldn't know the song. <laughs> <laughs> That's good shit. That's a real vibe. It definitely happened. And
1: God <laughs> bless you, little Jimmy. And, and like you know that this was someone's fucking like MSN screen name. Oh boy, oh, yeah. Man.
3: Oh look, we wonderful. all
1: had terrible MSN screen names. It's okay. That's the thing. People bullying teenagers online for being cringy fuck off take a look around at yourself <laughs> it's part of being a teenager is to be incredibly dumb and incredibly dorky and have the most abstract idea of how to embrace irony and sincerity yep yep so you do these dumb jokes and these dumb sincerities yep. and that's why like when you have a crush on someone your msn screen name is love song lyrics from a killer song and when you like got a bad test result your lyrics are It doesn't matter if we all die at (laughs) (laughs) thecurepornography.wav.
2: We were just lucky enough to be able to go through that phase in like a closed environment.
1: In private, exactly.
2: Where it was only our friends and crushes had to deal with it.
1: There's no documented TikToks of like 16-year-old Andrew... Uh, you know what, I'm not I'm going to continue because this is going to be fucking recorded. I don't want to say how miserably cliche, dumb shit <laughs> teenager I was, but that's the thing. And people would have been doing the same thing with the lyrics from this song. And there is something sincerely wholesome about that. And yes, this song is as good as Limp Biscuit maybe ever did. And whatever, it's not bad. But mate, this is a safe space and a closed space here.
3: You can share. It's entirely not. You could sh- It is. There's no one else listening. Yeah, I'm sitting in my home and nobody else is here. That's right. Yeah. It's just your good friends over the internet, and no one else is listening. So, what's your TikTok?
1: I'm actually going to hold off because my dog Coltrane thinks I'm a pretty cool guy. I'd hate for him to think otherwise. So, <laughs> is he is he the, is he there right now? He's sat on my lap. <laughs> what does
3: he Aww. think about the um, biscuits? Take a look around. Well, he's obviously more into jazz. Do you like jazz? <laughs> <laughs>
0: At number 26, it's Eels with Mr. E's Beautiful Blues. The smokestack
3: spitting black soot into the sunny sky. The load on the road brings a tear to
1: the Right. It's
0: a beautiful day. Uh-huh. Eels making their return To the hottest 100 Of the year 2000 Coming in at number 26 That's the song Mr E's Beautiful Blues Andrew David you know where you can find this song. It's a soundtrack song, baby.
1: It's a major soundtrack song. Oh. <laughs> is it fucking ever? Oh, yes. But this song was also a song from the 2000 Eels record, Daisies of the Galaxy. Great record. It is, actually. Um, Just a brief bit of personal history with my connection with this song. I've mentioned a couple of times purchasing the compilation CD that collected maybe 35 to 50 tracks from the Hot Ops 100 was a very regular annual Thing in the um, do I, have I said my surname on this podcast? Yeah, I can say it's all right, I'm doxing myself. In the McDonald household, your name's in the description, and Deej
3: says it at the beginning of every episode.
1: Oh, look, we just we, we've already gone through the memory things that <laughs> someone has in the podcast, can't remember who it was, but anyway. <laughs> but this track on the uh, on the 2000 100 compilation was a serious, major mainstay. In my household, I loved this song so, so much as a youngster. My parents, or at least my mum, huge fan of this as well and love it incredibly, incredibly deeply. Massive, massive nostalgia trigger for me. And I know that this isn't entirely typical of Eel's sound. It's got a more of a big, like a largeness to it kind of thing, like a thickness. Eel's are daddy thick, it's confirmed.
0: <laughs>
1: this song is just such a goddamn warm summer day embrace of a goddamn tune like it sounds like one of those old 60s analog recordings that just everything sounds like it's happening right there in like the cloth fabric speakers and i love so much that um uh, is it mark everett mark oliver everett or e yeah that e has had a tremendously troubled life with his father dying quite young and then his sister committing suicide a number of years after that and then his mother dying of lung cancer a few years after that and obviously a lot of that is documented and explored on electroshock blues and this is the record that follows that and there's something so like sincerely so beautiful to me that in the wake of such sorrow that this song can come out and It's not even like darkly ironic or playful in its thing of like, ah, the world's gone to shit, but hey, fuck it, man. Things are all right. It's legitimately just sometimes, goddamn right, it's a beautiful day. And that's fucking it, man. Sometimes it is a beautiful day and you feel good because the day's lush, man. It's so fucking sincere and sweet and his voice is beautiful. The production, like I said before, is absolutely gorgeous. I think the fact that it was co-written by the man who produced it, Michael Simpson, who is one half of the Dust Brothers. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the Dust Brothers you are actually familiar with the Death Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. they did Paul's critique by the Beastie Boys, so they're set. But they also did Odelay by Beck, the Fight Club soundtrack. They actually produced Mbot by Hanson. They are very, very, very fucking good producers. And one half of them, Michael, was actually the co-writer and the producer of this song. Which you can tell, right? Because it's just got that Beck lineage, right? Yeah. It has that bassy warmth behind everything. This is just such a fucking sincerely beautiful like David Foster Wallace, one of my favorite authors of all time, wrote about in the 90s and the early 2000s, irony was a crutch that Americans rested on to distance themselves from the horror of being sincerely open about things. Because it's easy to be snarky and sit in the Statler and Waldorf booth and make fun of things and be ironic and distance yourself from like that, but to be sincere about something and say that something sincerely frightens you or makes you sad or makes you feel love is such a raw thing to do as a human being. Not that this song is even necessarily anywhere near as open as some of the Eel's previous shit. Like even just like fucking, I don't know, like Cancer for the Cure from Ultra Shock Blues is a far more open and raw song kind of thing, speaking about his actual mother's death. But in general, E... In his whole songwriting, au and with this song as well. It sounds like it could be an ironic song. Like, the production of it all, you have, having the Dust Brothers there who work with Beck, who obviously trades in irony in a lot of ways. But the song itself, and, like, as much as the, some of the lyrics are, like, kind of silly and, like, like the smokestacks sitting back, sort into the sunny side kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, man. Like, because I, I look at the lyrics and I kind of go, like, this is... The, I would say that it is being slightly ironic in the fact that it's talking about the beautiful day because all the lyrics kind of describe some pretty some
1: shitty things, right? Yeah, some down shit. Referencing that um that famous American environmentalism commercial with the with the Native American yeah the load on the rope brings the tear to the Indian's eye. The elephant, won't forget why it's inside its cage.
3: The
2: elephant line always gets me. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or the clown with the frown
3: driving down to the sidewalk fair, finger on the trigger. You know that movie Joker. Tell ya. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, shit. I think as much as all those things are there, maybe I'm just projecting my own naivete and optimism that I remember from being a child when I first heard this song I didn't really understand the lyrics. And also, being in isolation, I'm treating optimism like a drug in the sense that it's okay to have a little bit because it's nice. As a treat, we can all have a little optimism as a treat. <laughs> as a treat, you can have been optimism. It's okay. You can mainline it just for a little bit. I don't see the irony in the chorus. To me, there's something about it that just feels like this sincere piece of like, in, in the same way that like, um, and again, to just go back to the foster walls kind of thing, right? Like, like the, uh, the TV show community, which I'm sure many of us have watched and is very, 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 very good. That show trades in irony, like a motherfucker but it uses irony to reach a point of sincerity. It's like a post-ironic kind of thing. And I know I'm getting very highfalutin to talk about this fucking pop song that was featured in Road Trip. Yeah,
0: Tommy (laughs) Scuzzi!
1: But I do think there's something in that. And just briefly on the Road Trip thing, it was featured in the 2000 film Road Trip starring Tom Green and was Sean Michael Scott in that?
2: Sean uh, William Scott, I believe.
1: And Amy Smart. It's about a group of really horny college guys, one of whom cheats on his Mrs who he's having a long-distance relationship with, and then they go on a road trip, brackets 2000, um, (laughs) to retrieve said tape because it was accidentally mailed to her and he doesn't want her to find out that he was dicking down someone, not her. Very... Very complex Matrix-esque movie from the year 2000. (laughs) You take the red pill and you wake up, nothing's different. You take the blue pill and there's Tom Green letting a live rodent crawl on his tongue.
2: And you certainly see that movie and you're like, this needs an eel song.
1: Big time. (laughs) But part of that as well, um, Everett said that letting this song be used in Road Trip is, in his own words, one of the few real regrets he's had in his life.
3: <laughs> so
1: good. Oh, God. Three of his immediate family members have died. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, this is a real regret. He only agreed because the record company, I think it was DreamWorks Records? Yeah,
2: DreamWorks.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Shrek
1: came to him. And he's like, listen. Here's what you're doing with the song. Road Trip
0: has layers. <laughs> Tom Green? Green like the ogre? Shrek? It's all connected. It's all connected.
3: Wake up, sheeple.
0: <laughs> Everett
1: only agreed to let the song go on the record because the label were threatening to withhold the release of Dace's of the Galaxy, and he had, it, it was finished and mastered and ready for release for seven months before it even came out. It, 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 could, it should have... Been released in '99, but DreamWorks held onto it, waiting for more commercially opportune times. And part of that was the horny Tom Green road trip jerkoff film, Road Trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he says um, he hated shooting the video, which he features in there, like hanging out with the guys from Road Trip in a car. And of course, you would hate that if you're <laughs> Mark Everett because you're a depressed, lonely dude. Yeah. And he's never seen the film Road Trip. <laughs> so he's beating me on that regard. <laughs>
2: this song wasn't even gonna be on the album.
1: No, it's a bonus fucking track. He
2: thought it went against the the flow of the album, but the DreamWorks insisted.
1: And the thing is, it does. That's the yeah. thing. Like this sounds different to a lot of other Eels tracks.
2: Totally, totally. It is beautiful though. And and I am completely on board with that kind of reading. I think there is sort of two colours to the song, but there's kind of just such an emotional clarity to it that it feels good to listen to. Like It really feels like a hand on the shoulder, kind of like, yeah, I get it. Me too, sort of. There's one particular shot in the music video where um, uh, uh, E is driving the bus and kind of just staring forward, not engaging with anything around him. Um, And Sean William Scott is kind of shaking his butt at E.
1: Oh, I can see why you'd hate it.
2: That's it, right? Yeah. We are all E trying to drive a bus through life and get through the horribly depressing things that happen around us to everyone we love. And we are all also, Sean William Scott, shaking our butt at ourselves <laughs> as we try and drive that bus. <laughs> there are two wolves inside each of us, He and Sean William Scott.
0: <laughs> Fucking amazing.
3: For me, I definitely got way more of a cyanide and sugar kind of vibe from the song and like it really had I almost caught like an aggression when he was singing goddamn right it's a beautiful day as if he was determined Mm. for it to be a beautiful day but I think like where I arrive after hearing you talk Andrew is just like well I guess if you feel optimistic at the end of a song it's an optimistic song it has to be how could it be any other way
0: it's defiantly optimistic. That's what I've always gotten for this song. I remember reading about how he kind of came up with that hook. This was in the book. I've talked about this every time we've talked about eels, but um, the book, Things the Grandchildren Should Know. It's first thing in the morning, he's out on his porch, and literally he just says to himself, it's a beautiful day. Goddamn right. It's almost like a biopic kind of moment, like that mythology of like Keith Richards writing Satisfaction in his sleep.
1: Yeah, like... You, you, you go outside and you're like, huh, yesterday all my troubles did seem so far away. <laughs> and then you start Wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're yeah. like, I could start a really good band after that shitty one I was in a couple of years ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, to me, this song, like a lot of like the, like the poppier eel songs, it delves into radical and defiant positivity and optimism. You might be throwing this shit at me, but guess what? I can still see the fucking gorgeous blue sky. I can still see the sun out. I'm surrounded... By the glory of, like, nature and just-
3: You might have your ass out, Sean Williams Scott, but we are not looking at you. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. I will turn this bus around. <laughs> I
0: will turn this bus around.
1: <laughs> There'll be no Road Trip 2000 for anyone. But that's entirely fucking it, David. Like, I know we've touched on serious shit this podcast in the past, and I don't want to, like, belabor a point kind of thing. But it was like, particularly right now, people are in isolation. The world is chaos. People are having, I'm sure, after this is all done, we will look back at this point as a period of collective mental stress for a lot of us. And as we've said in the past, if that's something that you're concerned about as a listener, fucking reach out to us. We've chatted with a few of you in the past. We're always fucking happy to do so. But this, We're all in the Discord
0: as well, of course. Exactly.
1: You can fucking chat with us. But there's something sincere about... And like it is, to a certain degree, just like a mindfulness thing, right? And it's not as easy as saying yeah you just choose to be a happy guy it's okay just 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 don't just don't have clinical depression andrew you idiot um but there is something about that right like if you really push yourself and it's, it's it's hard it's it's not an easy thing to do but if you really really push yourself to force happiness to be a part of what you are at that moment it can not always but sometimes it can work sometimes the world is shit you're seeing the load on the road and it brings a tear to your right. You don't forget what's like inside the cage. You have your finger on the trigger kind of thing. but if you like can really focus on the fact that you are present and you are alive. Some fucking times, it is a beautiful goddamn day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a link to this to another uh, Eels song that I personally love. It was a song from uh, the 2005 double album "Blinking Lights" and other revelations. A song called "Hey Man," now you're really living. It's a four chord, very bright, catchy pop song, and it basically juxtaposes that with "Has fucked shit ever happened to you?" Well, you're fucking living then. Like, it's just so, like, bright and catchy and just, like, that contrast between the light and the dark. Like, for me, that's a lot of what the best Eel songs are about. And if there is anyone that can talk about finding light in the darkness, it's a guy like E, honestly. I read that book. Oh, God, like, I I was in high school when that book came out and, like, it still sticks with me today. Like, if you guys... Ever get a chance. You guys listening and you guys, the my fellow panellists. Also listening. You should absolutely check out Things the Grandchildren Should Know. It was fantastic. Just getting in the mind of someone that I really, really admired in terms of songwriting. I, I think his craft is just impeccable and like that is definitely a big part of this song and in turn why it's a big part of the Eels canon and why this is one of his best songs. It's literally in the title, Beautiful Blues it's music about misery in one way shape or form so to have a beautiful blues means like i'm sad but you know it's still fucking gorgeous out you know it's that it's that inherent contrast between these two separate worlds and like living in the epicenter of that is is eel's music in general yeah
1: man it's that kind of thing and like this might be an experience that some listeners know kind of thing sometimes like when you're like serotonin boys are like being with not doing their job but you're outside and you're doing something and you'll just start like laughing to yourself and i know that i'm kind of describing like mania but i don't mean that sometimes you just like holy fuck this is ridiculous man like man i'm getting little really off topic with this one but as albert camus said you confront the absurd and the virgin approach is to be sad with that confrontation of the absurd and the chat approach is to laugh at it and embrace the fact that it's <laughs> fucking ridiculous right and that's, that's probably what was going through E's mind when he wrote this song for Road Trip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Obviously.
1: Yeah. I will always love this song. It's been a constant in my life for uh, oh, almost
0: half my life. I adore it deeply. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you very much for listening. We love you. But we know why you want to hate us. (laughs) Now, before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favorites and our least favorites and continue that ever-continuing story of Carryover Champ, Carryover Chump. Guess what? I'm going first. And guess what? Limp Biscuit, Take a Look Around, is not only my new favorite, it's my carryover motherfucking champ. Because why the fuck not?
1: (laughs) You guys can't stop me. You're not cops.
0: To hell with the lot of you.
1: And what's your least favorite?
0: Uh, Sour Girl. Sour girls, whatever. It's fine. Mm, Adam, what do you got?
3: Look, my favourites take a look around as well. Fucking, fucking let's, right, it let's is. Go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. No, nah, man. Like oh. I, I fucking knew that song when I was a kid. It's the. It's got the one of the biggest fucking guitar sounds that I can name. Champ. It just champ, nailed the brief. Champ,
0: champ. 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 Champ.
3: It's not my champ. It's not better than Radiohead. Damn it! I'm still. Come I'm on. still me.
1: <laughs>
3: Come on. Uh, <laughs> and my least favorite is sour girl.
1: Yeah, my favourite is, unsurprisingly, Mr. E's Beautiful Blues, but it's not quite as dear to me as Everything in its Right Place by Radiohead, which remains my champ. My least favourite also is Sour Girl, but it's... Nowhere near as bad as Black Jesus Black
2: Jesus Same Beautiful Blues for favourite But I'll keep Radiohead And uh, Sour Girl easy Least favourite But not as bad as MXPX
1: I I laugh every week That I remember that
2: MXPX is your least (laughs) favourite It's just like Oh yeah It's fun It's fun man It's just a nice thing to have
0: It's a good time It's a
2: nice little treat
0: Guys, hook or by crook, we have made it to the fourth and final quarter of the 2000 Hottest 100. Season 8 is not done yet, but fuck, we are closer than we have ever been before, and it's fucking exciting. We will see you very, very soon to talk more about the 25 hottest songs of the year 2000, but until then... Please keep in touch. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at hottest 100s and hit us up on the Discord as well. The link is in the show notes. Folks, on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Bye. Mr. Andrew McDonald. Adios. And Mr. Adam Buncher. Mm, see ya. My name is Mr. E and everything is good for you.